This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, October 4th of 2018, it's episode 139. In this episode, Chrissy Woodward joins us to talk about character backstories, plus the fictional characters we'd want to run a game for, pervasive illnesses, upcoming streaming content, Ginny the Goblin Queen chews things on air, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And I'm Chrissy. Chrissy's back. Yay. Yep. Mm-hmm. We have two-thirds of our gaming group, which... Yeah. Yeah, this this used to be... Well, eh, whatever. We have two-thirds of our gaming group here to talk about character backstories tonight. <laughs> I'm excited, actually. This is this will yeah. be good, in large part because I brought someone on who's far better about talking about character backstories than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, as you can probably hear from their voices, um, Grant and to it seems like a little bit of a lesser extent, Jenny are battling colds at the moment. So you're probably going to hear me talking a little bit more than usual. And we're also probably going to try and force Chrissy to talk as much as possible. No, I refuse. (laughs) Wait, what? He will comply. That's not what I brought you on for. I brought you on so I wouldn't talk. I thought you brought me on because I'm the ideal guest in that I am always here. Well, I'm that too. And also you're really good at character backstories, oh. whereas I find them despicable and <laughs> atrocious. And these aren't even the right adjectives, but that's I, how tired I am. Because you're wrong and don't like things that are fun. Yeah, but we, I, I we think, already I think that. perhaps the, the, um, the adjectives you were looking for were distasteful and tedious. Yes. Let's go with that. Okay. First off, Chrissy, hi. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you back on. Good to be here again. Uh, For those who don't remember, we've had Chrissy on a couple of times before talking about uh, fitness, you know, fitness for gamers and geeks, and also talking about visual character design, where she brought her extensive costuming knowledge to bear. So very glad to have you back on. It's a lot of fun to have you here, obviously. Thank you, darling. I'm kind of a fan of you, as it turns out, dear. (laughs) <laughs> Probably a good thing, since yeah. you're stuck with me. There's an odd chance people, uh, this is somebody's first episode, Chrissy is my wife, as it turns out. Uh, who knew? <laughs> well, clearly the two of you did, but... I just <laughs> found this out like a years. couple of days ago, and I was very confused. <laughs> How long have you two been married? Well, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary, actually. Yay! <laughs> Grant is slow on the uptake, it seems. Yeah. Well, you've heard our dating <laughs> but- story. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have. Um, at any rate, um, congratulations. I, I would imagine the listeners will probably want to congratulate you on that, too. Just some real quick news and notes here before we kind of dive into things. We have a new Discord emoji, thanks to our Patreon backer, um, Richard Lorenz, who goes by uh, DM Dad on the Discord. So thanks, Rich. And yep, It is um, an adorable little goblin, if I say so myself. Yeah, uh, as yeah, it turns Grant out, Grant, it. Is, yeah, Grant is really good at pixel art. Who knew? I didn't. Also, we yeah, neither did I, but you clearly are. Your stuff looks <laughs> professional, and you just started. It's frightening. We have some uh, upcoming streaming plans, actually, that we should discuss. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing what is probably going to turn into a lengthy series of streaming Pathfinder Kingmaker. Actually, just started doing that this past week um, as we're recording. But I discovered that the character that I created is redundant with one of the companion characters, so I will probably be starting a new save game now that I've played a little bit further in in kind of the off-the-screen game. And um, 
We'll be doing that for probably quite a while because it's a big game. And then we've got some other stuff that's coming up. Why don't you guys talk about the stuff that you're going to be doing individually? So, Jenny, you've got some on here. So after the last stream that I did killed my keyboard, I got a new keyboard, a much better one. I've mostly been playing Dead Cells on stream, but I'm thinking of uh, starting up a Sunless Sea, uh, a Sunless Series. Hey, I got it. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay, so I'm kind of anxious for this because I tried to get into that a while ago and bounced Mm. off. So I I Um, feel like watching more than maybe like 15 minutes of it might help my motivation. Oh, yeah. Like it's a slow starter. I'm not I'm not going to pretend it's not a slow starter. Um, But once you get into the characters backstories, hey, how about that? Once you get into the characters backstories, you really get sucked in a lot more. Awesome. So yeah, uh, that, that'll that be a fun thing to do. There have been a whole bunch of uh, DLC and expansions released since I last played, so I may get those and uh, try those out as well. Right. And uh, Grant, you have something that was delayed by the start of this cold that you're fighting the, the remnants of here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be doing some Kerbal Space Program which I have been looking forward to streaming for a while because Kerbal Space Program is a you know, it purports to be a uh, space exploration simulator with real physics. As far as I can tell, it is a rocketry disaster simulator. Yes. <laughs> so just like a space program. Just like, yes. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I have not quite decided whether I'm going to do like a the actual campaign mode or if I'm just going to kind of do creative mode for streaming and be like, hey, let's just do some silly stuff and see what happens. You can heavily customize the difficulty, so I may kind of do a pseudo-campaign mode where it's pretty easy. We'll see. We'll, we'll play around with it. And uh, I've got a couple other things I'm going to eventually stream as well. I keep hoping to uh, drag Peter into streaming Minecraft with me because he's never played Minecraft. Yeah, um, I listened – I've been listening to our, our long history of saving the game well before I was on. You guys mentioned Peter not having played Minecraft on episode two. Really? And you have, yes. And Grant, you said, oh, hey, Peter, I should get you on Minecraft multiplayer so that we can play together and I can show you the ropes. Maybe we could stream it. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm six years ago. <laughs> yes. All right. It's, it's so, officially it's on the list. So here's, here's, a, here's a thing about um, this last year. This seems to be the year when we start dealing with old baggage that we've had since we started the podcast. Because yeah, there have been at least two or three topics. I mean, the music one we recorded a few episodes ago with Zach Lorton, that's been on the list since like day one. Yeah. Um, it's just like there's so You're not much wrong. stuff where it's like, we really should get around to that someday. And then, you know, we kind of sit here and look at each other. And it's like, well, yes, someday is today. So yeah. mm-hmm. 2018, the year when someday came. The other thing that I think we're all looking forward to streaming together is uh, Ultimate Chicken Horse. Oh, yes. yes. (laughs) And uh, for those who don't know Ultimate Chicken Horse, it's an obstacle course that you build on the fly, and it kind of plays by horse rules where you say, I think I can do this, and I think that you can't. And then you race to the finish line, and it's wacky and ridiculous and really cute because there's a new update that added a really adorable elephant and a bunch of new levels and items. (gasps) Oh. 
Also, ah. so lethal. It is extremely lethal, and yes, floaty physics is perhaps the the kindest oh. way yeah. to describe it's it. It's some of the least satisfying controls I've ever experienced. Like, I love a good satisfying double jump. Dead Cells does that really well, but Ultimate Chicken Horse does not, and it does not on purpose. Yeah, that's yeah. the funny thing. I, is- I would call the experience of playing Ultimate Chicken Horse Gygaxian <laughs> its level of lethality. Yeah and, yeah, and it is on purpose. You're right, Jenny, because it's yeah. very much a, I did not mean to do that, oh well. Mm-hmm. Better luck next round. Uh, yeah. One thing I should add is that um, we are working on getting all of these streams exported to YouTube uh, where they will not expire. So if you can't t- tune in Friday nights uh, where we do all of the streaming. Hopefully we will have those up on YouTube soon enough. You can re- uh, catch them in the backlog of VODs on our Twitch channel, but those are only up for 14 days. So I, w- I would yeah. like to have those archived for posterity. We're exporting them to YouTube. We just haven't published them yet. There were a few kind of mishappy ones that I had that we're just going to let die where there were audio issues or something, but um, we're planning to get some of that stuff ironed out soonish so yeah we should have like a, a reliable stream of uh, streaming videos going into our youtube channel okay well let's go ahead and move on to our patreon question then indeed chrissy since you're here roll the di- roll that die for me it's so weird only rolling one i know six six ah perfect hey this is great because this is from richard lorenz hmm. he this is actually i think a follow-up to an earlier question he asked um, about uh, which fictional character would we want to uh, GM a game for us. This one is, which fictional characters, uh, books, movies, television, comics, or RPG characters, whatever, would you want to GM for? Uh, um, I have one. Yeah? I have one. I would want to GM for uh, the main cast of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Hmm. And I know that that would be, like, absolutely awful, but just like a one-shot. Just the, the whole group there with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. Okay, so the obvious answer that I'm going to go ahead and take because I don't think my co-host watched this is the cast of Stranger Things, of course. I watched that. Okay, I I don't think Grant does. Uh, It's been on my list, but it's one of those things I absolutely have to watch with Chrissy. Okay. Yeah. And when do I have time to watch TV? Yeah. (laughs) When I'm not here, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you guys will love it when you get to it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, those those kids already play D&D. Um, they're super like enthusiastic about it. Uh, they work well as a team. They'd be they'd be a blast to run a game for. I agree. Okay, Chrissy. Anne of Green Gables Ooh. and Shirley. Ooh. She would bring so much to the table. Yeah, and yeah. it would all be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she would. Okay, that's a good one. I like that. Mm, I guess that leaves me. Yeah, sorry. No, oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, you know, just to pick a a cohesive set. I'm going to say the cast of the first season of Digimon. Bunch of little kids, okay. bunch of small kids, very imaginative, all different personalities. And obviously they all have their Digimon there to goof off with at the table. It's going to be like a group of eight young kids. So it's going to be a very rambunctious table. But yeah, I'd, I'd run a game for them. That seems great. All right. Well, we got through that one shockingly quickly. Yeah, for us. I know. <laughs> Go figure. All right. Well, Richard, We're good question. Tonight. We really appreciate your uh, sending one in. And if you uh, want to join Richard and all of our other Patreon supporters in submitting questions for us to read on the show, just support us for as little as a dollar a month. Patreon.com slash saving the game. 
Uh, there's a whole list of things that reward tiers get you. We're working on uh, some custom rewards for very high backers right now, actually. So that's something fun that we're doing as well. Uh, and of course, if you want to support the show in other ways, the biggest thing you can do to help us out is sharing episodes that you're fond of on social media, telling other people about the show, reviewing us on iTunes and anywhere else that allows reviews. All of those things get the word out about us and help us enormously. One iTunes review might not seem like much, but it really does affect the uh, algorithms that iTunes uses quite a bit. One review written up somewhere or a tweet about us on social media it helps us a lot. It gets us in front of people that would otherwise never know about it. And that's very helpful. And that, that helps us continue the work that we're doing. Yeah, just to kind of dovetail on that, I uh, recently represented the podcast at a library media fair. It only lasted for about three hours, but I made a couple of really good connections there. And one of the things that I kind of came away from there realizing is there are a bunch of people out there that would find a Christian RPG podcast to be an interesting thing to listen to and have never thought to Google it. So, yeah, share us around. Yeah. You never know who might be interested. All right. Let's go ahead and do our scripture readings here, shall we? And then we can get right into sure. our topic because it's a big topic. Yeah. Okay. This is Genesis 37, 19 through 26 from the story of Joseph. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. This is Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 to 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Acts 9, verses 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17, and this one is from the New American Standard translation. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, so with the um, backstories of Joseph and Paul and a couple of other um, pieces of scripture kind of in general on this, I think we should get into discussing character backgrounds. Yes, absolutely. So, 
A quick disclaimer on this episode. Um, the advice that follows is most pertinent to traditional RPGs such as D&D, Savage Worlds, uh, Shadowrun Champions, uh, that sort of thing. Indie RPGs that are more high concept or short form may not benefit from this advice as much. This is also a fairly good window into our personal preferences for playstyle as a whole. If you enjoy something different, obviously, you know, as long as everybody's enjoying it, no bad, wrong, fun, etc., etc. Just kind of to lay our cards on the table, we tend to favor character-oriented, story and RP-heavy games. Uh, even when we're playing D&D, we go sessions without having any fights sometimes. Uh, if you prefer straight-up dungeon crawls with very little story in between them, you may not get as much out of this. And likewise, if you're playing short form, like, you know, one shot or two to five shot games or ones where creation of things is part of the play experience itself, like microscope, this is going to probably be less pertinent. But fortunately for us, most people, it seems like, play traditional RPGs at least some of the time. So let's launch into our topic here. So, folks, what makes a good background? Uh, one I didn't have to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm being only a little facetious here. Uh, one of the reasons that I, I struggle so much with this topic is I really am not especially fond of doing character backstories. Like, I like having a character backstory, and I'll kind of get into where I start making those eventually, but it is the most painful part of character creation for me. No, that's coming up with a name. No, yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, that's names. For I, I, I have plenty of random name generators I can use. Like, that's not a problem. I'll happily name a character, I don't know, Coffee Cup McJones or whatever. I don't care. <laughs> you would. I would. But trying to come up with a backstory is is tedious and painful for me, so not my favorite. Whereas I love doing the backstories. As much as I whine about character creation and how I hate doing it, I, it's partly because I spend so much effort on the backstory. Like, I have to fight it and wrestle with it until things start clicking into place, and then yeah. I run with it. For you, it's a big emotional and time investment. It's not just yeah. something you can just do real quick yeah. as part of filling out a character sheet. Yeah. And also, there's all that math or something. Well, but, character yeah. advancement and the, the actual like mechanical building of a character is pretty different from backstory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You end up having to do a lot of them at the same time. <laughs> Fortunately, they're somewhat distinct from each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, do, I do enjoy the backstory. And Grant has seen me do this even from my first game where someone's like, oh, you should take this feat. It's really powerful. I'm like, my character would have no reason to know that. Or mm -hmm. this doesn't fit with the character I'm building. Yeah. Yes, it would be yeah. more awesome at the table, but that's not what this character is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know that I have thoroughly frustrated other players in in the various in-person groups that I've been in because I have not maximized my character's mechanical potential for a backstory reason. And and it has made people actively angry. That's partly why I wasn't allowed to uh create my own characters in one group. Um <laughs> so wow. yeah. Yeah, no, that was high school. So so it that was That was also probably what, 3.5? Mm, yes, moving into fourth. Yeah, those those were the system masteriest yeah. of systems. Yeah. One thing that I will say that that D and D five e, I recognize that it's a strength of it, but I kind of hate it. D and D five e lets you like it incorporates background into a mechanical thing, and so moving back into what makes a good background for a character, uh, the D and D five e method sort of tells you how your character got to where they are now. 
So that's one of the main things that contributes to a good character background. Yeah. Yeah, it should. The background should ideally say like how you got to where you are at the start of the game. And it should also give you interesting things about your player character that can affect the the game's story in dramatic, interesting, useful ways. Um, yeah, productive, productive ways. Yes, productive is a good word. I, I was floundering a little bit there. Uh, also, Grant has this in here. It should be an incomplete story, um, no further along than the first act. Do you want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah, well, I want to... Yeah, just- and then you can, then I can disagree with you, because I thoroughly and totally disagree with you on this point, and I'm excited to prove you wrong. Okay, that's fine. Good luck. <laughs> Godspeed. Um, for me, when I'm doing a character backstory, it, it needs to have hooks that offer action in the game coming up. When I create a backstory... It needs to kind of be a statement to the GM of this is what some of the things I want this story to be about. And so you can't have a backstory that is a character having completed everything that makes them dramatically interesting. You need to have it such that there is some dramatic tension inherent to the character waiting to be wound up further and then released through play. That's that's what I mean by having an incomplete story. It has to leave the GM and the player and the character somewhere to go in the story. Right. And this is not to say that a character cannot have a long and interesting backstory, but all of that long and interesting backstory should be the prologue and first act for the current story. Okay, so so here's where I think you're wrong. I think one of the most interesting characters that you can play is an old person. Who has seen all the things and is thoroughly done. Because I don't think you need to... It's it's nice to have a character that cre- can create dramatic tension and that can be developed. But I am a, a, a player who the vast, vast majority of the time detests having the spotlight put on me. And I would much rather have it be put on somebody else. and Because that is not how I have fun. And... I think you can create a a full, interesting um, character that is that is wound into the plot and is wound into the the setting as a as you know as a whole, and not need to develop them. See, I I actually think we're kind of talking around each other here. Okay, what you're talking about is having a character with again a very long, very interesting backstory who's got a lot of things that they can bring from that interesting experience. You know, experience mm-hmm. as a character trait is a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Old characters are neat because it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. Or yeah. oh, I've never seen this in my 500 years of existence as a tedious elf, whatever. Yeah. But we're not talking about those stories. We're talking about the the story that we're currently engaged in. Okay. So I, I in that case, I misinterpreted what you meant by first act. Yeah. I'm talking about the first act of, okay. the, of the story of the campaign that we're playing. Oh, of the campaign. Okay. I thought you meant like first act of the story of the character. And I was like, but old people. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to a certain well, degree. I mean, if that was the case, Lambert wouldn't work because he's already middle-aged. Right. Yeah. No, I'm not talking about like they have to be young. I'm saying like we can't have a character whose hooks are all about to finish up their arc, like that entire okay, character okay, arc. Okay, okay. Right, because that's that's not interesting. Either what happens there is we do those and the character no longer has a reason to exist in the campaign, mm-hmm. or we never get to them because we keep putting off doing anything with that character because when we finally do something with them, they're done. Okay, but like here's my thing. I don't think you have to do a thing with a character. 
And that's that's where I disagree with you because I do want characters to have spotlight time, even cool, if it, but even I if as they're a player don't. Well, even Tough. if you know if if a player wants to kind of hold back and be like you know a supporting character in a lot of ways, I'm mm-hmm. totally fine with that. There are people who thrive that way, and more power mm-hmm. to them. But I do want all of the characters in a campaign to have a moment where. We get to know about them and we get their moment. Every yeah. supporting character in a TV show gets their episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to, yeah. to take a recent, well, sadly, not all that recent because of all of our scheduling difficulties lately, but like meeting a Terry's brother and his wife and mm-hmm. their soon to be born egg was definitely one of those kinds of moments i mean it was oh, yeah. it, it was a focus episode as if you were on a terry who's yeah you know a bard and is kind of a support character and stuff like that but mm-hmm. there still and, needs like, to be the I, opportunity for that stuff yeah yes and no because like i've also been in a group where one particular individual is in the game for very different reasons from everybody else. And it's not necessarily a game ender all of the time. And yeah, you should be on the same page for certain things like lines and veils, etc. But if somebody is in the game for a different reason than the rest of the group and they and you want to continue playing with that individual and, and they don't want to have the spotlight on them at all ever, then they don't need that. And they don't need to have the the dramatic tension put on them ever well i mean at that point are we even writing a backstory for them then sure I, it just it doesn't why? always have to match up and and that's okay their backstories can still give you interesting plot hooks even if the person whose backstory the hooks come from doesn't take the stage i mean mm-hmm. it could be yeah. the rest of the party digs up some information that ties in and the player who doesn't want the spotlight is like that's cool and they're like no we're rolling with this and they can t- maybe they'll take lead on it and they'll have a moment where they solve their friend's mm-hmm. problem. And that's that's fine. I mean, but what I'm saying is like yeah. if you're going to have a backstory, it should not be about to come due or already have come due. Okay. Backstories, I think they are to give the GM and the other players things to latch onto and things to run with and things to do. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think one of their other purposes though is to Give characters some forward momentum, if you will, when a game starts, because they have wants and needs and things to deal with, things they're trying to – a problem that they're trying to solve. And thus, they they are not a a blank slate just awaiting a sword and a shield and instructions. (laughs) I think they also are useful for – as the person who's playing the character, reminding you what that character is about, who they are as a person, what is important to them. Like the the fact that Lambert in Grant's game comes from this monastic background where he had this kind of very privileged existence for a while and is aware of that and is becoming more aware with his interactions with the other party members about how much everybody else didn't get that necessarily that's a really important thing that kind of has driven a lot of the role playing of him as a person. And it, it's it's one of the things that helps me make him more than just another kind of generic do gooder, too, is it's like I had this thing. A lot of other people didn't have this thing. So what am I going to do about that? Right. 
And this kind of is moving us into a conversation about some of the, the common pitfalls of character backstories. And what you're talking about is the – Lambert is sort of the opposite of this, the completely apathetic character with no goals, no values, no priorities, the cardboard cutout, the tabula rasa awaiting, like I said, a mission and a dungeon crawl. Which, yeah. again, if you're just kind of doing it, slapping a couple of fantasy descriptors on a, a dungeon crawling fighter and sending them in – if your goal is a fun tactical dungeon crawl, great. Like, have fun with that. Yeah, Don't especially let me if stop you're going to do something like Tomb of Horrors or White Plume Mountain and that character is probably not coming out the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know? I would probably have, like, a random backstory generator just for fun, but that's me. Like, uh, yeah. let's see who this guy is. Hit the button. Oh, hey, he's out to avenge his mother's... Peacock. All right, whatever. You know. I haven't. I'm playing an alcoholic cat herder from the Flatlands. All right, let's go. Get me. Um, yeah, but you know, yeah, values are important, and so having a character who cares about things is a good character to bring to a game because they will do things and they will respond to the GM in a way other than uh, my character doesn't want to do that or my character goes along with whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there's a if there's a very good chance that if all things were equal and if logic was followed, your character would not go adventuring at all and would just wander off and become like an ordinary person, your backstory needs some work. Right. <laughs> and, and backstory and motivation are obviously going to be very closely tied to each other, right? Yeah. Character backstory and character personality are obviously going to be very closely tied to each other. So to a certain degree, we're going to talk about things that you know, there's going to be some bleed, but you can't have a character be interesting without them coming from interesting backgrounds and having them facing interesting decisions where they have to choose what to do. And maybe they're in the process of choosing or they've made the wrong choice and need to fix it. Or they're like, I don't know how to deal with this yet. I'm going to figure out how. And in some cases, you don't even need to have the most interesting backstory. You just need a defined backstory. Uh, Lambert growing up, coming of age in a monastery is not edge of your seat thriller, but it informs no. everything he does. Right. Yeah. Hala is in many ways kind of a wild rebellion against her own backstory coming from this extraordinarily wealthy, privileged background where she was just sort of a trophy in a cage, eventually going to be married off for, you know, family political reasons. And then she was going to be the uh, politely waving entertainer the rest of her life. She decided that's not me. So she became a mostly evil monk who's a burglar and that's fine. But Peter and I were talking about this earlier. If Hala goes back there, functionally she dies. And that's an interesting character backstory because she's here's where she came from. And Hala is doing her best to be not that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Likewise, uh, there's another very common pitfall, which is the character backstory that is completely disconnected from any social interactions whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You know, the character with no friends, no family. They're all dead. No emotions. All killed by orcs. (laughs) Each and every one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this is, we talked about this a little bit in kind of the battered group syndrome and bad GM behaviors episodes. This kind of a backstory can sometimes be a reflexive response to having been fed into a meat grinder in a bait and switch fashion one too many times. And it's like, no, I I, I don't want you to just use my family as hostages and then kill them off no matter what I do. I'm just going to skip ahead and 
not do that. And yeah. the, the thing is, that has become so prevalent that a lot of people think, oh, that's just what you do. You make a character with no connections to the world. And then, you know, the all the connections come from the other player characters in play. Eh, no, not really. That's I mean, it can work, but that's certainly not the only way to go. And it's so played out well it, the, at mm-hmm. this point it's so played out because it's a literary trope that dates back to like sword Greek myth well sword and sandal kind of <laughs> pulp action right like conan is yeah. the character who is the eternal wanderer with no home and who just kind of goes around finds treasure accosts women fights monsters yeah. and then eventually leaves with no lingering connections whatsoever and that works in a Robert E. Howard story because that's what the character is supposed to do. And also, that's our only main character of interest. Yeah, but not even all of Robert E. Howard's characters were like that. Well, I know. Solomon Cain definitely has some connections. I know, but like that that archetype exists for perfectly valid reasons, but it is not every character. And it shouldn't be every character. And it's mm-hmm. not always a good character in a role-playing game. But if adventure stories have taught me nothing, it's that I cannot be awesome until at least one of my parents is dead. Well, I mean, that's true. (laughs) And there is the eternal problem of, well, if my character has lots of social interactions and obligations, why did they ever become an adventurer? But you just have to write your way around that. Right. And our anonymous player has done that. He has a huge family. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And it's great. <laughs> yeah, he has like a giant Irish slash Italian Catholic style family, like with dozens and dozens of aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff. And they're all this, you know, constantly interacting with each other and stuff. And in some ways, his character's background is almost kind of like a severe introvert's reaction to that. Yeah. Where he kind of he went through some difficult stuff, but he needed some time alone to process that. And then went off and processed that with some help from our newest uh, player, actually's character. Mm-hmm. And now is kind of re-entering society with a smaller, more manageable family made up of the other player characters. Sure. See, that's interesting. <laughs> Basically, his family just nagged him into adventuring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. But yeah, like, it, and it's totally fine to have a troubled backstory. Let's let's not mm-hmm. pretend otherwise. Chrissy, your character in Peter's game has a very troubled backstory, but you are not isolated from that. All of the background characters from your background are super interesting, and we're waiting to eventually interact with them. Not Chrissy has carefully written them out of any out of the story, and they will never appear again to create any dramatic interest whatsoever. Totally not yeah, going to happen. Seriously, if you have not read the descriptions of these characters, there's um. One of the setting design blog posts covers them. We'll link the specific one in the show notes, but oh boy. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. an interesting group. Yeah. Um, You're uh, welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Another common pitfall, and this is sort of the opposite, and I this is one that I think is most common among very, very new role players. Uh, or somewhat immature ones, at least. Well, yeah, and perhaps I'm conflating mm-hmm. the two. I'm super special, and I'm super unique, and nobody's ever been as weird or as awesome as me. Yep. I'm flashing back to all my my days playing uh, MUDs and like role-playing in AOL chat rooms and all of that stuff where it's just like, everybody has the most interesting and unique and coolest character. I'm part angel and part demon and part dragon and part genie and I have a giant laser sword and yeah. uh, Yes. No. (laughs) I'm working on a theory that um, immature gamers game like our six-year-old who was playing with her toys the other day and I overhear... I'm the littlest, and that means I'm the most special. 
was like, oh, she has absorbed the lesson of her movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, that goes back to like Russian folklore, where it's the third son who manages to accomplish the task. But yeah. Yeah. It's a trope, and it's a perfectly fine trope, but eventually you've got to leave room for other people. Yeah. And again, this is as much about overall character design as character backstory, but please, make a relatable and interesting character who fits in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing, too, is this can sometimes just be, like, a a thinly justified form of munchkinism. It's like, oh, yeah, I should totally start 15 levels higher than everybody else with max stats and everything in a legendary laser battle axe. No, stop it. That's premise rejection. Don't do it. Well, sometimes sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's, I want to be so cool and, like, yeah, I'll I'll fit the character. And I specifically want to be cooler than everybody else, though, is the the most common version of this. I mean, that's fair. There's also a related one where it's like, my character must be completely and totally different from anybody else, lest you feel ignored. And this one comes from a particular type of insecurity that I've seen a lot among all levels of experienced role players and Mm. all ages. Um, And this doesn't necessarily manifest itself in in weirdness or outlandishness or quirkiness. Um, It can just manifest itself in anger at other people for having made too, quote unquote, too similar a character background. I have seen this over and over again. And it's not a problem. It's an opportunity. If you have a similar backstory to another PC, that is relationship fodder. It is RP fodder and it is gold. And at that point, you just need to sit down with the other player and start scheming and planning um, so that you can tie your backstories together or or contrast so them. that you can. Yeah. 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 You, you can you can have like similar backgrounds, but or rather you look similar on paper. But once you start actually interacting, you know, you can start having the, the differences become apparent. Yeah. And depending on the, the personalities of the characters involved, this can manifest itself in so many different ways. You can have, you know, competition or rivalry, or you can have one of these mutual respect kind of things where it's like, oh, wow, we never learned that back where I came yeah. from, you know. Or rivalry moving into that. Like, yeah, leave room for that family. kind of development. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, I sort of feel like that's going to become a thing in Grant's game with me and our newer player, because uh, we both made spellcasters who focus on area of effect and elemental damage. Yeah. Yes, we have so two walking howitzers now. <laughs> yeah, I'm so expecting like either one of us to break out into anything you can do, I can do better. And I'm so looking forward now, to that. Now, I can give one kind of counterpoint to this, you know, I'm the weirdest and most unique ever, is in a game like Fellowship, which Grant and I played with our Meet Space friends for a while, in which every single character is the most special, unique snowflake in their entire race. Because they made their entire race and all lore belongs to them. And when everyone in the party is unique and special, hilarity and shenanigans ensue. Yeah. And our Uh, group was actually pretty good about saying, I am not necessarily the pinnacle of my species. There are others who are better and stronger than I. Which was good. I'm thinking of... uh, Tyler in particular. Yes. Right? A lot of his jokes. Not Delamore. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, Delamore was just the last of them, but he was playing the Giants, and the Giants, he basically said, are as- they're almost like elementals. They embody certain natural concepts. And he was the, his character was the youngest and weakest of them, and his was civilization. But, you mm. know, he had like 
Because it turns out night and winter (laughs) and decay are significantly older and stronger. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, so he's like, I'm going to go ask my older sister very nicely, you know, (laughs) and but it's, you know, and that's fine. But, you know, we we got to show off these interesting, weird, wacky characters where everybody was so wildly different that it was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, hey, I'm this weird eternal dude and that's a dragon. And yeah, we're buddies because, you know, we've been around a while. It's cool talking about old characters, right? But, you you know, I, I do think that when you're not playing that kind of game where that sort of, you know, weirdness and uniqueness is an actual aspect of the game. I I think breaking these out and, you know, saying, yeah, you know, it's totally fine that we have similar backstories. Let's talk about that and work it out as as a thing. I think the fighting for attention thing that you described, Jenny, I think that Mm -hmm. even is kind of an artifact of the troop nature of many role-playing games and the the party construction idea where we all have to be different. I can't play a wizard if you're also playing a wizard. Yeah. And then that sort of like filters into the backstory thing. Well, we can't both have been mages from this particular order. We we need to be different. Yeah. And yeah, I can it is occasionally frustrating when you feel like someone else does your job. If you do have characters with similar backstories or similar builds, the less aggressive player can often get frustrated because they are not getting any spotlight and they're not feeling useful in the game. Because someone else is always stepping in and doing what they can do. Even if they're not doing it better, they're doing it first. And so I can see why some people, especially if they've been gaming and groups like that, would be a little wary of having the same backstory and the same ideas as another player. Because they could just see that as, I've suddenly become redundant. I am not going to have a role to play in this game. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Uh, A couple of useful things to keep in mind. We kind of talked about this a little bit with Fellowship, but backstory can be a, an opportunity for players to own parts of the world. Yeah, um, it, it's one of those things where, let's say you're playing in the Forgotten Realms, okay? And, it, you know, there's been hundreds of thousands of words, probably millions written about the Forgotten Realms over the years. And yeah, that's just one um, R.S. Salvatore book. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they are dar- doorstops, yes. The thing is, like, you can still take some little corner of that setting that your character is from and make it your own. Um, your family, your childhood friends, the the other people from your neighborhood in Waterdeep or wherever, you can, you can carve out this little niche that isn't defined someplace and make it your own. In a less well-defined setting, like the one that I've been running this group through, man, that's how Magali Dabina came about. That's how the mm-hmm. Hellblades came about. I mean, like, I have, I have been actively soliciting, like, world ideas from my players as I go along for two main reasons. First of all, I really like the investment that this, you know, creates like we're talking about here. And second, my friends are smart and creative and have cool ideas and the setting is better for them. So um, as a GM, a lot of the time there can be this desire to kind of control everything. But remember, you still have veto power and let some of that control go a little bit. Loosen those reins. You'll I think you'll if you've got a good group of trustworthy, interesting, creative players, I think you'll be just absolutely delighted with what your world winds up having in it if you let your players use backstory creation this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think also um, 
we kind of continue on in the the vein of this uh, creating backstories with the rest of the group. We've kind of been dancing around this the whole episode. That can be absolute magic. Um, I know with like adult schedules and stuff, it's not always possible, man. But man, if you can get everybody sitting there at the same time and start riffing off of each other, mm-hmm. there's a reason why the uh, the famous fear the boot group template idea is so incredibly popular. It works if you can all sit down and be like, "Hey, I want to do this," and somebody else is like, "Well, I was thinking this," but and then you know a third person is like, "Well, if you do that and you do that, then I could," you know. You can start getting some of the things that will set yourselves up for an interesting, rich, textured gaming experience before a single die ever hits the table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it also avoids really odd, obvious conflicts or at least works around them. Oh, yeah. What are you? I'm playing a vampire. Huh. I was playing a vampire hunter. Oh, hmm. Whereas if you sit down beforehand and say, hey, I really want to play a vampire. Huh, I really wanted to play a vampire hunter. How can we make this work? You know, and, yeah, and you, you, work and it out you look at each other and you're like, oh, I have an idea. Yeah, then you're, you're off to the race. Yeah, if you, you, know? if, you mm-hmm. have, if you build your backstory such that, hey, maybe we know each other, and it's like, yeah, I'm watching you, buddy. You you start turning, <laughs> I'm going to stab you. Like, you know, you have your vampire hunter who is essentially the vampire's parole officer or something. <laughs> Okay, yeah. cool. Now we've yeah, got vice it, versa. Yeah, now we've know? got interesting backstory that is tied together instead of we show up and go, oh, well, I guess our characters fight. The, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's that's no fun. Good morning, <laughs> bloodsucker. Sleep well. I'll most likely stab you before sunset. Yes. Good night, meatbag. Sleep <laughs> almost well. Like- I'll most likely drain you before morning. <laughs> yeah. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way to work the Princess Bride in, Chrissy. <laughs> yes, well done. Mm-hmm. likewise and this is related to this don't step on other people's fun if you have an amazing idea and it's gonna upset someone at the table don't do it it's not an amazing idea yeah if it's going to take away someone else's fun exactly right be mature be decent show grace to other people Mm -hmm. at the table be excellent to each other Yeah. yeah write it down save it for another campaign where it won't completely derail someone else's character or fun or backstory yeah Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I feel like since we've got Chrissy here, we might as well touch on this because this was a little bit of a concern for me at the beginning of Grant's game. We've talked about this a little bit before in the podcast, but when we sat down and did um, character creation, it was originally just the four of us, Grant, Chrissy, me and our anonymous player. And Chrissy and the anonymous player created two chaotic neutral characters, a traumatized former gladiator and a amoral trauma inducing (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i'm sitting here playing you know looking at this very standard you know me character this neutral good pro-society like (laughs) paladin in cleric's clothing (laughs) stress ball of a cleric and it's like oh well i guess i've totally missed what this game was about i guess i need to create somebody who's a little more morally dubious and the group, Grant in particular, stopped me right there before I could even kind of take off with that train of thought. And we talked about it a little bit, and it's it's turned out to be fantastic. It's a, It's given me the kind of the opportunity to play my character as the moral compass of the group in some ways, but there's been a lot of character development and interesting material that came out from the fact that it's like no we're all going to play these characters and we're going to we're going to play them true to concept but we're going to be very cognizant of not stepping on each other's fun while we do it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And and so you get things like the arrow incident or the the cursed sword like micro arc that we had or that sort of thing. Yeah. I also know that it was a somewhat of a concern and it hasn't really come up yet, but it was somewhat of a concern when you guys added me to the group and I was like, I'm going to play somebody lawful good. And you were and you guys were like, you're not going to have fun. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have fun. My character sure is. I remember that. And I like my theory is play whatever you want, because Mm -hmm. characters are not if they're played well. Any alignment can be a really rich and fascinating character to interact with. Well, except for chaotic evil, because screw those people. But <laughs> you know, you've challenged no, no. me, I'm, and I'm t- one day I'm teasing. I'm kidding. One day Let's I'm going to roll one out on. for you. <laughs> Just you wait. I'm going to prove it can be done. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> no need to make good on the threat. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Got the finger steepling and everything. Yep. I know what Chrissy's playing when we do Eberron. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I mean, it's the alignments are just like your backstory. It's kind of a guideline for what your character's worldview is. Mm. And it's not saying this is how your character has. Your character does not have to do this certain action. It's the lens through which they view the world. Aster is chaotic neutral. She can choose to do good, and she can choose to do evil, and she can choose to do something completely strange, but it's what works best for her at the time with what information or resources she has at hand. Yeah, and just to pull this slightly away from alignment, the character that you're describing is defined by the backstory that yeah. you created for her, and those inform all of the choices. So while she, you know, she is this chaotic neutral character, she it's is not a of her life. It's not just this monotonous sort of chaotic neutral outlook. It's yeah. a chaotic neutral outlook on life, informed by everything yeah. that has come before, which informs the decisions she makes going forward. Yeah, like the backstory is why she is chaotic neutral. It's right. the it's the alignment that that backstory would have created. Sure. But the other thing of that is, you know, getting back to what Peter was yeah. talking about where he had mm-hmm. this character who quote unquote didn't seem to fit. Yeah. If you just look at the plain old mm-hmm. alignment system, you know, Peter instead has this character who is sort of group therapist in a way. <laughs> yeah. And he you know, inspires the other two characters to be better. That's exactly it because he looks and goes, "Oh, these are broken people. My job as the character I created is to help these characters process their backstory and make decisions informed by those backstories but also things I can teach them." And so those backstories tie together that way they shape what could otherwise be the, these very, again, if we're talking about just kind of a monotonous like tone, if you just have these two contrasting colors, as it were, just clashing, it wouldn't work. But yeah. instead, you've got this interesting interweaving where, and, where one feeds into the other. And Peter and I were talking not too long ago, and I told him that, you know, that my character's backstory – Started out like my backstory was I am going adventuring to impress my absentee father, who is also an adventurer, and I want him to be proud of me. And through the course of gameplay, and I don't think my character has realized it yet, but she has switched from wanting to impress and make her father proud to wanting Lambert to be proud of her. Yeah, and it's happened a few times, and he said so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, and I, I think, okay, so here's, here's, I guess, one piece of general advice for morally upright characters in dubious company. Kindness is real important, guys. <laughs> like, if Lambert was a jerk about things, I don't think we would all be having as much fun with him being part of the party. That's true. However, I also think that if that kindness was not appreciated and to a certain degree reciprocated and responded to by the other characters, it wouldn't work. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's the other thing kind of going back a little bit to the group template thing is like, you have to figure out what is going to work <laughs> given the, the personalities at the table. You know, it's like because we're all really good friends and have been gaming together for years and have just been friends for years and stuff like that. Having that sort of like reciprocated stuff works for us. If you're playing with a bunch of total strangers and like, um, you know, a brand new, you know, recently formed gaming group, it was like, hey, we're all the people that wanted to play D&D in this general area and we've kind of found each other and we're sitting around and it's real awkward you might not be able to get to that level of depth because you don't have the trust built up. So do something simpler. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, the the dynamics between the players at the table absolutely needs to be accounted for. Mm -hmm. So let's try and wrap this up a little bit here. How do we personally come up with backstories for our characters? So you can derive it directly from the setting or from the game's plot. Uh, Miko is like this. Miko is derived directly from a very specific plot point in Grant's campaign, which is Gage. I don't remember Gage's rank, but the the appearance of Gage in on the island is really what drove me to create Miko. Because he's essentially a sort of old world and probably human supremacist in a setting where humans and all the players' handbook races are invaders in a D&D &D setting. Yeah, he's Hernan Cortez with the serial numbers filed off. Yeah. Kind of. So Unfortunately, not nearly as large of an army. <laughs> so Grant, Grant told me about this one uh, plot point and NPC, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to make the opposite of that. <laughs> and it works. It works very well. Yeah. Yeah. One other very common way of doing this, and we touched on this earlier, is just sort of saying, what does the player character group need? Okay, I'll make a character like that. Yeah, Lambert yeah. is a cleric because we needed a primary spellcaster in our and a healer in our starting party. We had a fighter and a rogue and it's like I was originally thinking of a paladin and it's like Grant was kind of like you guys realize you have no spellcasters here, right? Like the the couple of, you know, spells that a paladin gets do not really make up for that. And it was just like, oh, to be okay, fair, we like never so have spellcasters. Well, now we do. We have we <laughs> have a bunch. Yeah. We recruited spellcaster players. That's how we fixed that That's problem. It. You can only yeah. play with us if you promise to sling spells instead of weapons. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. And, you know, sure, we're kind of talking about cre defining, like, the character class, but that then immediately informs the backstory. Because the backstory between, you know, your cleric and your paladin were going to necessarily be different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... I will say this, too, as reluctant as I initially was, and there was a little bit of reluctance there to kind of play yet another cleric. I, I think the way that it has turned out has been so much more interesting and rewarding than if I had tried playing a paladin from what the concepts that I was kicking around for. I that. mean, that's they true. Were, they were much more two dimensional and kind of less interesting players than or player characters than Lambert turned out to be. And you do sort of play Lambert as a very paladin-y sort of cleric. So it 
it works out well. Like you've kind of got the best of both worlds going. Yeah. yeah. I, I, although honestly, I don't, I don't see that as much as you guys do. I, I, I feel like um, paladins are a lot more forceful and less diplomatic than Lambert is. Yeah, I'm thinking more in terms of like combat, personally, because oh, like you know, Lambert's very much on the front lines. He's tanking. He's you know he's doing that paladin role. Yeah, he's a mm-hmm. big, strong, tough dude. Yeah. That just was from some lucky die rolls. Sure, but so, like, the, the, I, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, you've kind of got the best yeah. of both worlds in that he's a little paladin-y, but he has all of the interesting parts of a cleric as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. speaking of lucky die rolls, uh, another one of the ways to come up with backstories, and this is the one that I've worked with the most often, and it has worked out so well, is direct derivation from the stats of your character or from mechanics related to those stats. So, um... There is a game that my mom runs at games conventions fairly frequently, and she calls it Level 1 Method 1. And it's when you start out at Level 1. And Method 1 is when you take your 3 or 4d6, uh, depending on how hardcore you want to go, and you roll them, and you just go right down strength, dex, con, and so on and so forth until you have filled up your slots, and you take those stats in order. And that forces you to really think very hard about what you are actually going to be playing, because you have so little control over what your character is going to mechanically be able to do. And that forces you to think outside the box a lot of the time. And that has made some of my favorite characters that I've gotten to play. Yeah, and this is the the big draw of life path system or the random table mm-hmm. with wacky character stuff. Like we've talked before about Mega Dumbcast. We had Chris Newton on yes, to, yep. to talk about that. And Palladium, the Palladium system is hot garbage. Oh, yeah. But what really comes through, like, in that podcast and in my readings of stuff and and everybody who talks about playing Palladium games is making characters by rolling up these random tables and trying to pick stuff off these wacky, like, restricted but interesting lists. That's super fun because it's like, yeah, I just let's see what I get. And then I have all these weird pieces. How do I synthesize a coherent if? weird character out of it <laughs> what do i do with this banana pants nonsense yeah exactly like i you know i did this when i um did the exo squad thing over on gameable mm-hmm. we did a character creation process in ninjas and super spies which is a palladium game for a an exo squad character and i ended up with a military police secret inspector with a weird extending like super robot arm all right cool whatever but also, she's terrified of the dark, which means makes space travel really hard for her. That's not a character I would ever have come up with, but it's an interesting character, and I'm totally down with it. Oh, and she's Polish. Yep. All right. Well, obviously. Cool. And sometimes you can just flip through, you know, the archetypes and stuff in the player's handbook and be like, oh, this really res- This looks interesting. All right. What kind of skills do they have? Okay. Well, what would make that skill? Yeah. I, and that's kind of where I start from is I look and see what kind of flavor calls to me and then i work backwards and then you know i'll revisit the stat or not the stats the skills and things and I'm like okay well what would fit with this backstory i've made well i really want this you know can i change something no i really like this part of the story i think it's a really solid motivation mm-hmm. and then things kind of start falling into place and i start feeling out the edges of this character and their backstory yeah it works really well um, yeah, it's sort of similar to what I do as well, where I 
I very much do a bottom-up design of most of my characters where I'm, I kind of say, what mechanics do I want my character to use? Like, what do I want to explore? And then how do I explain how a character with that skill set exists in this setting? And make them someone I want to play. I say, here's what they do, and then I have to kind of work backward and explain it. I will say that you can get to some interesting places with that. I mean, when you hear Shadow Monk, like, you know, Paris Hilton, but a cat burglar is not what comes to mind, usually. (laughs) (laughs) That is so... Holla. I didn't realize the Paris Hilton tie in there. That's so good. I'll have to have her eat more hamburgers. All right. Um, you need a purse dog. I do need a purse dog. Peter, Holla's getting a purse dog. Okay. <laughs> also, I need a sidecar for my purse dog. Well, we'll see what we can come up no, with for you and adventuring treasure. I think she has to have it in a little baby carrier on her chest oh, no, she's no. riding. The, the sidecar is clearly just like a dog carrier. <laughs> right? Like with the fluffy oh, well, like the fluffy bed. Not bejeweled, but definitely like a nice leather bed and really high end tastes inside the dog carrier. <laughs> um clearly. Another way I, I have only ever done this like once or twice, but I'll see a piece of art, and if that art tells a story, I'm like, oh, yoink, it's mine now. That story is mine now. And that's a fun way to do it. I do it for NPCs yeah. all the time in my own game. Is I, I subscribe to a lot of imaginary character subreddits for that reason, where I'm looking around going, oh, is this somebody I want to put in my game? File the serial numbers off and be like, all right, I kind of got the story of this character, and I see how they fit into my game. Cool. Let's go with it. You can absolutely do use that as a, a really nice starting point for a character. And then also you have a convenient piece of art that you can show the GM as a concept and show the other players. You're like, it's this person, but like this and this. Yeah. And the last one that we have here is a desire to explore a certain topic. So this is why I made Terry's backstory the way I did. Um, because I wanted to personally explore the idea of not having a home to go back to. Uh, because I have always had a home to go back to. I have a very loving, understanding family, and I have very loving, understanding friends. And the idea that I might not be able to fall back on them should I get into trouble is it, it's it's just been unthinkable for me. And so I want to know what that's like because I have friends who have been in those situations before, and it's just so far outside of my own personal experiences that I, I wanted to to do that. And so that's where that background came from. I have one more, and this is actually where several of my backstories come from. This strange, stubborn desire to subvert tropes or push boundaries. Um, I mean, I'm guilty in Peter's game of Peter's like, good, 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 good party, doing good things in a world that is full of pure good. And I'm like, how far can I push this? And he will let me get away with it. Yeah. You and me both, I think. <laughs> and this is why we work so well married. But yes, yeah, like, I took, uh, Peter, I love you. I took that as a challenge to make the <laughs> most broken and questionable character and backstory I could and push it to a redemption story instead of someone who is good and always been good. Because that oh, seems more interesting. Yeah, and it is. But I mean, that's where it came from. It's just this desire to how far can I push away from what is expected? Um, Aster is the same way. 
can I play a chaotic neutral character that isn't what everyone expects? Yeah, and it's it's interesting our anonymous player likes to do that yeah. too. It's the most interesting character to play. Yeah, Garm was um he was supposed to basically be Phytor the fighter, but somehow interesting though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, our anonymous player was very clear about that, you know, mm-hmm. from the jump. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he he pff, Garm may actually be the most interesting character in the whole party. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's so I think challenge accepted is a perfectly valid and really interesting way to make a character and backstory. Mm-hmm. As long as you observe the don't step yeah. on somebody else's fun. Well, role. and that's yeah. part of yeah, the yeah. challenge is can I take this thing in a way no one expects and contribute to the fun instead of detracting from it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I, I do want to wrap up with, it is okay to have a type of character. I always am kind of the person encouraging people to branch out, but at the same time, it is totally okay to have a fallback when you don't have anything else speaking to you and you have the one you always go to. I would mm-hmm. recommend variations on the theme, you know, slowly get a little further and further afield, but that's me valuing experiencing other things. I totally understand when somebody sits down and says, I would like to have fun tonight, please, and not feel emotion. All right, cool, whatever, right? We've, we've done the same thing over and over, and it's totally fine because that's what you're comfortable with and what you have fun doing. Yeah. Even if you are a person who definitely has a type, the fact that you yourself will grow and change throughout your life will do some of this on its own. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Frost from Grant's Shadowrun game and Lambert might not even necessarily get along, even though they were both played by me. Yeah, that's <laughs> They true. probably would, but they might not, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think Lambert yeah. would have serious uh, ha- sit down and have a serious conversation with Frost about kneecaps. Jenny, yes. Oh my gosh, what are you Yeah. <laughs> probably about his temper and, you know, like... Uh, yeah, a number of things. Uh, Jenny, do we need to pause? Jenny keeps eating stuff and I can't catch her in the act. I just see her chewing. Ah. Uh. Cat. Yeah, that's right. You know what you did. We're fine. Everything's okay. <laughs> this is I fine. Have a cat in this room. <laughs> podcat is not helping tonight. No. No, she's no. not. Bad podcat. Learn mic manners. Have Have you been hearing her zoom around at the same time? I've been no. hearing some of the meowing and chattering. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. No, totally fine. <laughs> We're leaving all this in anyway. Um, <laughs> That's what editing is for. Yeah. Not taking this out. Agreed. For Grant to make himself sound better and us sound worse. Wait, that was it. Yep. Yes, that was it. <laughs> Do we have anything else to, to talk about here? I don't know. I feel like you need to read the Grant plays sarcastic characters with a shady aspect to them. I remember yeah. what I was talking about, about making myself sound better on the mics. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what editing is for. Apparently, Jenny likes to play bird people. <laughs> so you you play a thousand elves, but you play one bird. <laughs> two. two, two birds, two, two. Okay, two, two. You're playing a kenku and a raptor, and Jenny, In I am, our- I am doing, but only only one of them can fly. <laughs> Listen, so you, play, you play one elf in a pink dress and you Suddenly get a- Suddenly you're Paris Hilton. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> but yeah, um, more to the point is that very few of my characters have impulse control. And that's partly because I've been in too many gaming groups where nobody moves the plot. Oh. 
Yeah. And if you have no impulse control, you have no choice but to move the plot. Remember when we were talking about learned behaviors in the battered group syndrome episode? Well, this one works real good. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes those are more entertaining and less unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've at least once, after about an hour, dragged the party kicking and screaming into doing something. And we all appreciated it after the fact, believe me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, vapor locking is a real person thing. at the table. <laughs> The one who will lose patience and just try something. Exactly. Okay. I think this is a good place to wrap up now that we've all kind of mocked each other's archetypes. Um, mm -hmm. Hi, got off scot-free. Yeah, you think that. Oh, are you going to mock my <laughs> characters later? No, I play rogues with family issues. It's what I do. Yes, it is. It <laughs> yeah, really it is what you do. It really is. It's exactly what I do. The question is a palette. <laughs> going, going all the way back to your werewolf character in the mage game. I mean, she was basically that. <laughs> Uh, well, it's apparent issues with that werewolf. Yeah, in fact, actually, Chrissy, you managed to export that archetype to the entire party in my games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Callista doesn't have a family. That's her issue. So <laughs> yeah. She has a family yeah, by that proxy that she misses. Yeah. So you are that issue. Yes. Yes, you're all my issue. Yeah. Anyway. Dear, thanks for coming on. <laughs> you're welcome, darling. It was very yeah. nice to have you here. You added a lot. And you're always welcome to join us on the mics for anything that we're discussing that's of interest to you, which I know is not always everything we talk about, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is It is good to have you here. And Thank you all for letting me jump in at the last minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was good. I was actually lobbying for you to be in this episode, <laughs> like, way back when we conceived of it. So I'm very happy that you decided to join <laughs> us. Yeah. As soon as Chrissy said something about, oh, you know, do you need me to sit in on this? I was like, I mean, we were talking about yeah. it. Yeah, sure. You want to sit in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but thank you. Seriously, it's, it's yeah. good to have you on. Um, if... People want to find you on the internet. Is there anywhere you want to plug or anything like that? Uh, my Twitter, although I'm not super active, it's at D20Mom. There we go. Mm -hmm. You're not super active, but I will say what you lack in quantity, you make up for in quality. Oh, okay. you, you tweet some excellent, excellent things. Yes. Yeah. And it's almost all original, which is great. No, no you know, constant barrage of retweets, which is kind of what my Twitter sometimes devolves into. Yeah, now I try to only retweet if it's super interesting and relevant to people I know follow me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jenny, Peter, anything else? Nope, nope. That's it. Brad, let's wrap this up. Uh, if you want right. to uh, comment on this episode, you can always go to our website, which is stgcast.org, and uh, comment on the episode there. You can also join our Discord, which you can find on the same website. Come talk about the episode with a whole bunch of other really awesome listeners. You can also talk about pretty much anything else going on. We, we try and have kind of a, a nice, friendly, open, gracious community. Uh, it's, it's quite good. And, of course, we're on social media as Saving the Game on Facebook and Twitter if you want to find us there. And as yeah. I said uh, earlier, you know, if you want to uh, support us in what we do, we have Patreon or, of course, uh, sharing us on social media, reviewing us, that sort of thing. That all helps us as well. And I think we'll wrap it up here uh, from all of us here at Saving the Game. Have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See you later, folks. Bye. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. 
To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.